glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. First John chapter 4, beginning verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Now, I've circled the two words, no fear, in my Bible. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. And as I read First John altogether, and then especially as I read First John chapter 4, it's almost like John says something. We know he's under the, the direction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. It's almost as though he says something. Your mind starts running with what you think he means, and the next verse puts a stop in your way to say, nope, don't go too far with that. And so we might start getting conclusions about what love is. I said in some of these last lessons, what we might think is whatever my definition of love is, that's who God is. And that's wrong because if that's the case, and each person's different definition means you, each person have a different God. And so that's not the case. God is absolutely who he is. And the only way to know what love is is to know God. I said that at the introduction. And so for those who might think, well, uh, love, uh, you know, God is, is, is love and whatever I think love is, John makes it very clear. No, to truly have love, you must you must accept the love God has given us. And God, as we've been dealing with very specifically the last few weeks, God demonstrated, manifested His love in one event, and that is in giving His only begotten Son to die in our place. That is the definition of love. Any concept of love that excludes the cross of Jesus Christ is not love. He's going to say as well, any concept of love that says, I love God, but I don't love people, is not love. You cannot love God and hate people. Impossibility. God is love, and in his love he gave himself for people who didn't deserve that love. And as he is, so are we. I believe this. You cannot live a a successful, fruitful Christian life without learning how to love. And we learn that from God and his love for us because here's what it is. Serving Jesus Christ is going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Here's what happens. How many ever get excited about someone you're trying to win to the Lord? You say, man, I really care about this person. I can see what Jesus Christ could do for them. You can see their life, and because Christ has saved you, number one, you realize no matter how unlovable this person seems, I know God loves them because I know God loves me. And so you go with great hope in your heart. If they just heard how much God loves them, it would melt their stony heart. They would believe on Christ and get saved. And you begin to tell them in love for them how wonderful the Lord is. And man, they cut you off stone cold. And the next thing you know, that person is avoiding you. 
And you think, I don't get it. Here I am telling you the best message known to man. I see the great potential of your life based on what Jesus Christ can do with you and you're treating me like I'm trying to kill you. Right? Guys, how many times do you go knock on the door and people say, what do I want? You know in your heart you walked up to that door because you love God and because you love God and He loves you, you love them, even though you never met them. And they treat you like you're bringing the bubonic plague to their door. And if you and I don't learn what God's love is, we'll get discouraged in a hurry about doing God's work. And we're not going to love unbelievers, and we're certainly not going to love believers. You, you see somebody get saved, and they start growing in the Lord. Next thing you know, they're not walking with God like they should, and you as a loving brother or sister are trying to exhort them daily to live for the Lord. You're going to provoke them to love and to good works. And man, you are the worst enemy they ever had. They'll call you names, avoid your phone calls, uh, say bad things about you. Why? Because you love them. Well, if you'll study the Bible, isn't that exactly what happened to our Lord and Savior? He came unto His own, His own received Him not. Even His own disciples, when He loved them the most, they denied Him, ran from Him, and avoided Him. (laughs) So my point is this, if we're going to serve the Lord, we've got to get a hold of what genuine love is, or we won't serve Him. We won't serve Him long if we don't understand what that looks like. Love is willing to be harmed and hurt at the expense, at the benefit of someone else. Love is willing to be spent and to spend, as Paul said, we've been discussing. And so tonight, what he's really going to deal with is he's going to kind of start bringing some things to conclusion here in chapter 4, and he's going to talk about the perfecting of our love. He's been dealing with what love is, some of the things I'm saying to you right now. I'm just repeating for the last few weeks. But now he's going to talk about this thing of perfecting of love and how that's done and what happens when our love is perfected and what is the fruit of that. Uh, let me ask you this tonight. If, if if I bring up the judgment seat of Christ, what effect should that have on a child of God? The judgment seat of Jesus Christ, where our works will be judged. How should that affect us? Should we Should we anticipate the judgment seat with dread or with hope? Yet so many of, of the times, when we think of the judgment people see, people say, oh my, I dread the judgment seat of Christ. Well, why? If that's the day I'm living for, if I'm building my entire life for that day, why should I, why should I dread it? So they say, oh, because I'll, uh, it's like the old song, I wish I had given him more. I'm sure we all will. But my point is this, he's going to say something here tonight that the perfecting of our love is that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Not dread, boldness. What is boldness? Boldness, in essence, is the absence of fear. Boldness has to do with with overcoming our fears. And he's going to tell us the way to overcome our fear, the way to overcome our dread, if you would, of standing before him is love. If we live a life that is based upon genuine, divine love, it gives us boldness, not trepidation, in the day of judgment. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm getting just a little bit ahead of myself, but bear with me. 2 Timothy 4, Paul says uh, that it, the time of my departure is at hand. He tells Timothy, he says, uh, but he said, but I've, I've fought a good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished my course. You and I hear him, Paul, there. Boldness. You know, I'm about to leave this world, but I'm not dreading that. I'm not dreading standing before my Lord because I know I've got a crown coming. I believe sometimes we've swallowed... Just let me, give you a, let me give you an example. 
just like many young people swallow the idea, well, when you're a teenager, you're going to be stupid and foolish and waste your life on sin. That's just what's expected of you. Well, that's nonsense. That's not biblical. You don't have to do that. Even so, many a Christian says, well, I just accepted the fact that the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a bad day for me. Why? That's not God's will. The Bible says that he's given us some things here that we should not be ashamed before him at his coming. It's what he says in verse 28 of chapter 2. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence. That's another word for boldness. And not be ashamed before him at his coming. We don't have to live a life that says, oh boy, when Jesus shows up, I'm going to be sorry. And so we'll say more about that in a minute, but that's kind of, I'm trying to give us the concept of what, what John's dealing with here is, where is the practicality of this matter of love? And he says the practicality of this is, if you will get a hold of the love of God and live according to that, then what happens is we can anticipate with gladness the judgment seat of Christ. So I'm going to give you four things here out of these few verses, verse 16 through 21, beginning with the perfecting of our love. Now that tells us a couple of things. It is possible to have love but not have a mature love. It is possible to have love. If you're saved, you have the love of God in you. And we'll say something about that in just a moment. But that love of God and that the love that we have is to be perfected. Perfect here doesn't mean flawless or without error, but mature or complete. You know, how many of you understand that in your Christian life, you'd say, do you love people? And you might say something like this. Well, I do, but I'm sure I don't love them like I should. That's the indication my love needs to be perfected. So he's going to, I mean like this, when we're told we're supposed to produce something, we're given a recipe how to do it. You know, if my wife were to go away for a, a couple of days and say, you know, if you would, uh, maybe think about the kids like cookie dough, we do that, and you could make that, and she doesn't leave me a recipe, I'm up the creek without a paddle. If I'm going to try to make something, but I have no recipe for it, because I don't know recipes by heart, and if I used to know them by heart, I wouldn't remember them anymore. So if I'm going to produce something, I need a recipe. Well, here in 1 John 4, he gives us a recipe, and not just in chapter 4, but in other portions of the book, for the perfecting of our love. And so let's consider that tonight, verses 16 and 17. He says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. So he's talked to us and dealt with already the fact in verse 9, let me go back up, back up there just a little bit. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Then again, verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. There's, a, there's an attachment between verse 9 and 10, verse 16. We have been told about and had manifested to us the love of God. The love of God is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The person that rejects the truth of the gospel is rejecting the love of God. They are saying, I don't want his love for me. I don't believe it. There are those that say, well, the gospel's too simple. Then they don't have the love of God in them. The only way to have, look, can you perfect something you don't have? you got to have it first. And that's what John's dealing with in verse 16. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Remember, love starts with, with God. God is love. You don't have love unless you have God. And you don't have God unless you've believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, we have known and believed. Let me give you the contrast of that. So I know I'm going to a few different places at once. But let me give you the contrast uh, uh, of this matter of we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Turn very quickly to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
The Bible describes the condemned this way in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. It says in verse 10, And with all, talking about the Antichrist, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perished. Why? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, verse 11 of 2 Thessalonians 2, and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I believe one of the primary reasons today we have a redefining of love is because the world by and large has rejected the true definition of love. When the world has said, no, no, we don't believe love is God doing something to redeem us from our sinful state. We believe love is God is accepting us as we are in our sinful state with no need to be changed. God will accept you as you are. No requirement to forgive you, pardon you. If you are living a life of blatant sin because God is love, He's okay with that. Because He is sovereign in His love, there's nothing you can do to offend Him because God is benevolent and loving. That's a different definition we have here. What the Bible says, because God is love, He has provided a way for you to be spared from His justifiable wrath against you. What the world says is because God is love, He doesn't have any wrath toward you. When you reject what true love is, you have to redefine it. And so here there are those that have said, you know what? We don't want the love that is communicated through the truth of the gospel. The, the love of the truth. There is love that is communicated through the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those who are going to perish are those who are going to say, nope, that's not my idea of love. And if God loved me, he would know that this is the way I am and he would accept me as I am and those folks are perishing, right? That's, that's what's being said. So John says the opposite in 1 John 4. He says, no, no, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. We heard about Jesus dying in our place. We know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We've known that and believed it. That's how you get the love of God. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you have something to be perfected. No person was born loving anybody. That's just the truth. We are born absolutely self-centered individuals. We know, may I say this, I believe there's many lost people who know how to mimic love, imitate love, uh, counterfeit love, but you cannot truly love God or man if you've not been born again. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. And if you've not been born again, you don't have the Holy Spirit. So anything that looks like love is nothing but a false fabrication, a counterfeiting of the fruit of the Spirit of God. And the world has gotten very good at acting like they love when they do not. What John is saying is we, who are children of God, we have love because we received it from God. God gave it to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So he's just reiterating again that without God you have no love, and if you have God, you will abide in love. And so then, uh, the perfecting of love, love is present by faith, but it is perfected by obedience. John, 1 John four sixteen says, we have known and believed. That's faith. I, I, I by faith receive Jesus Christ, who is the love of God. But love is, so it's present by faith, but it's perfected by obedience. Look, if you would, at 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, what he says here. 
So it's present in us by faith. It is perfected in us by obedience. Don't miss that. So 1 John chapter 2 uh, verse 4 says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's evident John was dealing with people who professed to be what the other brethren were. They were coming among the, 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 the people here that John is writing to, professing, I know him, but ignoring Jesus' commandments, saying, I don't care what Jesus said. I said to them in the jail last night when I was meeting with them, I said, because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That is not saying that if Christ is your Savior, you never err and have to be chastened or disobedient. Here's what I'm saying. How many of you have met people say, I'm a Christian, and then turn right around and do nothing but rip the Bible to shreds and say, I don't believe that, and I don't believe that, and that's a man's book fraught with errors? I'm telling you, somebody says they're saved and hates the Bible is a liar. You can't hate the voice of Jesus Christ while being his sheep. I didn't say you'll perfectly obey it and never have to be corrected. I'm talking about people that flat out say, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I think, but I'm a child of God. Something's wrong with that picture. If you hate the voice of the shepherd and claim to be a sheep, something's wrong. I think it's what John is saying. You've got people among you that are claiming to be us, but they don't, they don't care about the commandments of Christ because they don't care about Christ. He says this, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, what's it say? In him verily is what? The love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Say, boy, I struggle with assurance of my salvation. Obey him more. You'll grow in your assurance. Your obedience does not make you saved. Faith in Jesus Christ. He makes you saved, but your obedience assures you of your salvation. As you act in love upon his commandments, it will comfort your heart. It'll, it'll strengthen. That's where the boldness comes from. I, I believe this with all my heart. I believe the lack of boldness among truly saved people is because of the presence of disobedience. Don't miss what we just said. The lack of boldness in our service for Christ is directly connected with the abundance of disobedience. I didn't say it means you're lost, but our lack of boldness is a lack of confidence because we're sometimes not even settled in our own beliefs and our own salvation. How can you win somebody else to Christ when you're not sure you're saved? And you may be, a, if you're saved, you're saved as you're ever going to be. But what John's saying is the, the love is perfected by the keeping of his commandments. Whoso keepeth his word, meaning you hang on to the word, keep means to guard, to safeguard, to to, to hold on to in, in, in the, with, with, with the idea in mind of, of conforming to and obeying. And so you're not, you're hanging on the words of Christ. You do that. That's how this love is perfected or matured in your life. You would expect, you would expect a 40 year old child of a parent to act differently than a 14 year old, wouldn't you? I hope. As a human being, my parents being here tonight, I hope my love is more mature for them tonight than it was 25 years ago. You know what? Brooklyn was excited. I see you about grandma and grandpa coming. Do you know why? Now, she loves them, but not one hundredth of how they love her. True? She loves them because grandpa buys ice cream and grandma brings baby dolls. Her love for them is solely based on what they do for her. It's a very immature love. Their love for her has nothing to do with what she does for them. Now, if we as humans get a hold of this, right? 
as we grow in love, it has not to do with what we're receiving from the, the object of our love. It has to do with the value we've placed on them, and that's the kind of love God has for us. And so then the perfecting of our love for God and our love for people, it is through obedience. And so uh, he says, as we keep his love, whoso keepeth his love, in him barely is, he keepeth his word, in him barely is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. I want you to think in your conscience, what's the last marker in your life that your love has matured into being more like the love of Jesus Christ? By the way, that's the measure, is it not? How do you mark, am I maturing? Am I loving people like the Lord Jesus loves people? How much is my love for others like his love for others? That he, He's the standard, he's the measure. And so then, uh, the point would be, if I need to grow, that is directly connected. My, the perfecting of his love in me is directly connected to my keeping of his word. So let me just kind of put this little order here. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So the presence of his love, we reciprocate that love. We would not love God if he didn't love us first. But when we know and believe the love he has to us, now we have his love and we begin to understand what it is to love in return. So we love him because he first loved us. Then the Bible makes it very clear, if we love him, what will we do? We'll keep his commandments. We'll obey him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Here's how, here's, here's how you show me you love me. Do what I say. Hang on my words. Do what I say. Do what I say. So we love him because he first loved us. Because we love him, we obey him. He commanded us to love one another. So our loving for one another has nothing to do with the value or with the, how shall I say, with what we're getting in return. I'm going to love you not because you're lovable. I'm going to love you because I love him. That's God's way. We love each other, whether it be the brethren or it's our... You know why I'm going to love my enemies tonight? I do not love enemies because enemies are nice. Enemies aren't nice. I don't love enemies because I want to in my flesh. I don't want to love enemies. I want to remove them. That's my natural tendency. But I'm going to love enemies because he commanded me to. So we love him because he first loved us. Because we love him, we obey him. And then he commanded us to love one another. And so you're seeing this. this that's what John puts forward so plainly. We will love one another because he loved us first and we love him back. And as we love him and keep his commandments and loving other people, his love is perfected in us. Meaning, how do I learn to love people like God loves people? You just keep obeying him. You cannot obey the Lord without giving of yourself for the needs of others and learning. I believe it's exactly what Paul had in mind when he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The the death of Jesus Christ was based on his love for the Father and therefore his love for us. And so we love him because he first loved us. We obey him because we love him. We love others because he told us to. And as we do this, his love is perfected in us and our love is perfected as we carry out obedience to his commandments in loving one another. Got a question. Why do we give the gospel to a lost world? What's the number one primary reason we take the gospel, the good news of of salvation, to a lost world? He told us to. That's bottom line. Look, we hear something like this today. Well, people aren't very receptive to the gospel. That has nothing to do with taking it to them. If no one ever hears, if no one ever listens, and we never see results for our obedience to giving the gospel, that has nothing to do with it. He told us, go and tell. 
We go because He told us to. Well, why do we care what He told us to? Because He loves us. And because He loves us so much that He died for me, I'll just do anything He says. We don't take the gospel because our community deserves it. We don't take the gospel to the Middle East because they deserve it. We take it because He said to. That's what He wants. And He should be obeyed because He died for us. Listen, friend, this will give you a stable Christian life. Once we start getting our focus on the worthiness of the objects of our service, we'll quit serving. We don't, you don't, people don't, we don't, we don't minister to one another. We don't give to one another. Here's what happens. Churches sometimes get discouraged in supporting missionaries because one or two or three of their missionaries have some failing in their life. Maybe they were deceitful or maybe they got off in sin and somebody says, well, these missionaries are not a worthy investment. Hey, he said take the gospel, love the brethren, and we don't do that based on the worthiness of the recipients of our love. We love Him because He first loved us. And what happens as we carry out obedience to Him out of love, we become more like Him in our love. We are perfected by obedience, loving Him because He first loved us, obeying Him because we love Him, loving others because He told us to. And it's all one circle that keeps repeating itself. And as we carry this out, we are uh, perfected in our love for Him and for others. I don't know about you, I need my love perfected. But the way it is done is through simple obedience out of love for Him. Meaning, I respond to you the way He tells me to because I love Him. And the same is true for you. We're reminded again in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Galatians 5, 6 tells us, Faith works by, faith which worketh by, love. And so, what is the, the moving factor of a faith? What is the generating factor of obedience is love. And so then, love is present in us by faith. It is perfected in us by obedience. It is produced in us not by our own life, but by His. Look again at First John chapter 4. It's a very interesting statement here. We'll read first in verse 12, and then we'll go back down to verses 16 and 17. He says, No man hath seen God at any time, verse 12. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Then verse 16. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. All right? So as we have believed God and do the things we just talked about, herein is our love made perfect. Why? That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Meaning the character and the nature of Jesus Christ is magnified and manifest through us. We've dealt with this already, but we're dealing with it again because it's repeated in the chapter. And so the idea would be this, as he is, not as he was, not as he shall be, as he is. What John is saying is is the life of Jesus Christ is made known through us. So if we're not conforming to him, the world is getting a false impression of him. Amen? Paul said, for to me to live is... Christ and to die is gain. What is the high calling of a believer? Conformity to Jesus Christ. That's our, that's that, look, that's what we're aiming at. We are not aiming at a, a number during, in attendance. We want to see people saved and added 
But that's not the high calling to hit a hundred on Sunday morning. The high calling is not to, uh, uh, is not some generic goal set by our own imagination. The high calling of God is what He foreordained us to be before He saved us, and that's conformed to His Son. As He is, so are we. May I ask something? What is the love of Christ today for lost sinners? Has it changed? Well, look, He already died for them. As He is, so are we in this world. Does the Lord Jesus still love people who aren't worthy of His love today? Then so should we. Romans 8, 28, we love and should. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate what? He didn't predestinate us to be saved. He predestinated what we would be if we got saved, to be conformed to the image of His Son. If you're saved, God is at work in your life to make you more like His Son because as He is, so are we when? In this world, meaning His representatives in this world, that's us. Meaning this love that is produced through us is Him in us. That's what we've already looked at. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, Romans 5, 5. The Spirit of God sheds abroad the love of God. The Holy Ghost sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. Look, if you would, at Romans 8, verse 32. I love this verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, because here's what's going to happen. If you look at the love of Christ and say, that's the standard to which I'm being conformed. You know what I believe John is telling us when he says, herein is the love of God perfected? The kind of love we see we're supposed to have is a process being worked in our lives. Because if you don't understand that, you're going to get discouraged in a hurry. And so then Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the Lord would have us understand our ability to love people the way we've been loved is not in us, it's in Him. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? You want to believe, John, why He says, as He is, so are we in this world? He's reminding us that He is. He not was or will be. He is. And as he is, so are we in this world. May I ask something? Is he of all power today? Because here's what happens. We see God's standard. People think the standard of the law is high. The standard of Christ is higher. Is it not? The law says don't commit adultery. Jesus said don't lust. The law says don't steal. Jesus said don't covet. The law says don't kill. Jesus said don't hate. I believe that's a higher standard. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And yet we see that higher standard. Love calls you to a higher standard than law does any time. We see the higher standard and we say, how? How do you love people that hate you? How do you? By him. He already did it. As he is, so are we. We have his life in us. If God gave us Christ to die for us, can he not freely give us all things? Meaning, can he not provide to us the love he already gave? That's the idea that he not only died for us, he lives for us. Look, if you would, at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll move on here in just a moment and wrap this up. 2 Peter chapter 1. I, again, love this verse. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness to the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory 
and virtue. I don't want us to miss the, 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 the significance of as he is, so are we in this world. This standard of loving people and having that perfected can seem like an impossible one, but it is based on who he is, not on who we are. As he is, so are we in this world. And so the perfecting of love, it's present by faith, perfected by obedience, produced and provided in us and empowered in us by who he is, by his life. Number two, not only we see the perfecting of love, but the product of it, which we referenced much at the beginning. Verse 17, herein is our love made perfect. Why? That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. I promise you this, we'll never be ashamed to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I conformed to you, and I did that with that person. I gave the gospel to that. How many of you think this? Let me put it this way. How many of you think that Nate Saint and Jim Elliott today are dreading the judgment seat? I'm not in their shoes. I'm not in their conscience. But I'm guessing based on what we know, I doubt it. They left this world determined to obey the Great Commission and take the gospel to a people who weren't getting it. And they lost their lives for doing it. In the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that whole tribe ended up getting saved. We have the record of how they were killed because they later got saved and told the event. My point is this today. Do you think they're saying, man, I dread giving an account to Jesus for why we died on that beach that day? Oh, boy. I don't think so. Don't you think they say we lost our lives, but look what we're going to get? But Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am not dreading going to give an account to Jesus for how I'm living my life. When we live by love, you're not, you look, you'll never dread giving account for obeying Him. I promise you, you will never dread giving account for why you gave a gospel tract to that person or why you prayed for that person or why you took a cussing at that door when you were trying to give them a gospel or why you continue to care for somebody and pray for somebody when they were acting like a jerk. You'll never, never say, man, I wish I hadn't done that. It is living by love that makes us say, I don't dread standing before Christ. So the product of perfect love in our lives is boldness, not just now, but in the day of judgment. The Bible talks a lot about boldness. We need boldness to stand for Christ in this world. We need, we need boldness and are to approach the throne of grace with boldness. But we need boldness at the judgment seat. And the way to have that is by living by the principle of love and having that love perfected in us through obedience. I mean, let's say this now. Here's the practicality of this. If the Word of God has revealed some step of obedience in your life and you've balked at that, and I'm not the Holy Spirit, I don't know your life, but if you've balked at that and said, I know this is what the Lord wants, but I'm not acting in obedience on that, your love has ceased to grow. Your love has grown to the point that it's going to grow to and will never go further than that, than our next step of obedience to His commandment. Because here's what happens. Why do we balk at obedience? Let's just think this through real quick before we wrap up. Why do we hold back when we know the will of God? Let's be honest with each other. Because when I obey him, this is what it's going to cost me. It's going to cost my reputation. What will people think of me? It's going to cost me my comfort. We never balk at obedience to Christ because we think it's wrong to obey. We balk because of what it's going to cost us. It's going to cost me a relationship with somebody. It's going to cost me my standing. It may cost me some money. That is not love. And here's what happens. At the root of why we don't obey is selfishness and pride. And here's what's dangerous. We often mask that with a different form of love. Well, I wouldn't want to talk to that person about the gospel because I wouldn't want to turn them off to the Lord Jesus. 
They'll never get turned on if they're not told the gospel. The truth of the matter is, I don't want to talk to them because I'm not sure how they'll treat me when I do. That's not love. That's selfishness. Right? And here's what happens is, we stop obeying because we love ourselves. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross. That's a death to self. Wherein we keep obeying because we love him. And here's the, here's the matter. The product of that is, as you grow in love for the Lord and obedience, you grow in longing for the day when you meet him. It's no longer, ah, I know I'm doing things he doesn't like. No, no. It's, I have a lot of room to grow, but I'm looking forward to the day I get to stand before him. And so then the, 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 the product of love, number one, it's constrained by his love for us. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. For the product of his love for us is we, we love him back. But then the product of, his, of love is confidence in our lives. The Bible again says, Here in his love, our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. This has become a memory verse for me. Here's why. The Lord has begun to show me in my life anywhere I am afraid. Now, I'm not talking about the fear of God. We're talking about fear like terror, troublesome things, torment. It is always attached to selfishness. Where there's fear, there's a fear of what I'm going to lose. That's not love. Perfect love does what with fear? It casteth out all fear. It casteth out all fear. And so then as we love the Lord, we say, you know what? He is worthy of whatever I have to lose to be in fellowship with him. Remember, the book is about fellowship. And as we are willing to lose our lives for his sake, our love for him grows and our confidence grows. There's no fear in love. I think of Stephen, Acts chapter 7. How much fear was there in that sermon he preached? What a perfect picture of boldness. He thundered out the word of God with plainness. He told those men they were condemned. Why? Because he loved his Savior and therefore he loved them. And it cost him his life. And as he died, you don't find fear in him, you find peace. He's praying for his enemies as he died in likeness to the Savior because Stephen wasn't trying to preserve his life. He was seeking to magnify the life of Jesus Christ. And he did. He succeeded. And so then the product of love is, the product of his love in us is constrains us to love him, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, and confidence in our lives, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Let me ask you this. When God the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about applying his word in your life, how often are we balking because of this thing called fear? I said if we balk, it's because of what we think we're going to lose. And we start saying, but if I... If I plug in what's being preached from the Bible in a practical way in my life, that person will see it and that person will see it and this will be the reaction and our hearts get filled with fear and we know what we should do. We think, I just can't. I just can't. Fear, where there's fear, there's not love going on. Perfect love casteth out fear. And so then the product of love is constraint for him to love him, confidence toward him. Number three, the proof of love, John, First uh, John uh, 4, 20 and 21. He said, if a man says, so John's just been here defining love, what it means to love. He said, so, you're going to have some man say, I love God. I've met people that are professional at reminding you of how much they love God. I've told you this before, I'm always a little suspect. When a man goes around boasting of how much he loves God, you have to wonder, why do you feel the need to say that all the time, right? So, if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, it's too bad John doesn't be plain in his speech, he says, he is a liar. 
You say you love God, but you hate your brother. You're a liar. Because he explains, uh, uh, if, uh, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Undoubtedly, that's speaking of in the family of God, but not excluded to love for the family of God. Truth? If someone says, are we supposed to actually love the lost? Well, the Bible does say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. And certainly the lost are the enemies of God and the enemies of the family of God. But here's what John says. Let's put this to the test. You say, I love God. And by the way, how many of you know someone like the Pharisees claim to love God? Oh, we love God. But they despised. Remember the Pharisee and the publican? He stood there and despised that publican for no reason. He knew nothing about him. Then that man did not love God. The test, someone says, do I love God? Well, the question is, based on God's standards, do I love my brother? Jesus gave the story of the Good Samaritan to put this to the test. Here's a man says, I love God. Look at my religion. He doesn't say your, your religious activity proves your love for God. He says your obedience to God and your love for who you can see proves your love for who you cannot see. If you have a Christian life that minimizes, minimizes how much you are willing to risk in investing in people, something's wrong. Either you've stopped growing in your love or there's always the chance someone's not saved and say they are. But John's writing to Christians and he says, let's just put this to the test. And I believe this is, again, exposing error among them. There were people coming in among them who despised everybody because they were superior. They're way up here. We have a superior knowledge to you. All you underlings don't know anything. They hated their brothers. They hated people, supposedly their brothers. And what John is saying, you got people among you who say they love God and they hate everybody else. They're liars. They don't love God. If you love God, you love the brethren. Amen. And so then, how many of you know... I said, you know what? I love the brethren, but boy, I need to love them. I need my love to grow. Well, it's a simple solution. Take the next step of obedience, and your love will grow and be perfected. I hope it makes some sense to us tonight. The perfecting of love, the product of love, the proof of our love. We can make a profession, but the proof is in the pudding. If I don't love my brother who I have seen, I don't love God whom I have not seen. And of course, we're reminded you have a precept. We've been commanded by the one who loves us that he who loveth God... Love his brother also. I'll give you this simple analogy that we've given before. I think any parent would say this. I love my children. And my children say, Dad, I love you, but I hate your other children. I say, you don't love me then. Because if you love me, you'd love my other children because I love them too. Say, yeah, but your your son, this one, he I know he does. And he needs to repent. I know she does. She needs to repent, but I love him. And if you love me, you'll love them too. Right? That's the way it is. 